into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. everybody welcome to the show it's pod damn america jake flores is serving as his own lawyer in court not unlike a cartoon rooster today we are joined with your hosts alex patak that's me hello and anders lee anders lee here and some really exciting guests today you guys are gonna love this these are two top cartoon men from across the internet we scouted them ourselves uh with pinpoint accuracy from the uh the the new comic justice warriors we have ben clarkson and matthew boris welcome to the show hey what's happening it's good to be here i am a cartoon man i'm fully animated i my eyes are bugging out of my head I'm putting my nose to the ground and chasing after uh, someone who has just turned into a leg of ham. It's all true. Yeah, so I, I want listeners can't see this, but I want those body mods. We are not an, uh, a video podcast, but I can assure you, Ben is a mess. <laughs> Steam coming out of my ears. It's like recording with Elmer Fudd. I'm looking normal. I'm just a cartoonist <laughs> at my desk with my pipe. I have a pipe and a mug of coffee and a wife, and I'm just a normal cartoonist. He is also animated, though. It's kind of, but it's kind of like the yeah. home movies animation where it just looks like he's buzzing a little bit. Yeah. Squiggle vision, yeah. Squiggle vision. Just a regular guy, just a normal guy with a wife. Uh, well, we're going to get right into it. The world of comics is debatably the main driver of politics in America, and if not, the world. And so I wanted to start with this question. Garfield, alt-right agitator, or public menace? Why can't it be both? No, those are the uh, two options. No, those are the two options. Uh, Which one is good? That's your public question. Menace. It depends public on menace. where you know where you come down on the, uh, the cum drinking comic. The you cum know, drinking comics? <laughs> Explain more. <laughs> yeah, you don't know the... I mean, you're here to talk Garfield, or you don't know the cum drinking comic? I think I've I no I don't know it. <laughs> I don't, okay, I don't well, know. Hold on it. a second. I mean I don't let, describe it Garfield, in detail. For hold us. on, Garfield come. Okay, uh, <laughs> I just typed in Garfield come, and then I got the know your meme, the Garfield dog semen comic. So this is a uh, a comic strip that I guess you know your readers have to uh, have to know this, but for your sake, I'll uh, your listeners rather. Okay, John comes in the room. There's a nurse. Uh, handling Garfield. He says, have a cup of coffee, John. Why, thanks. I don't mind if I do. Okay. Second panel, he grabs it, tips it back, downs it. She says, congratulations, Mr. Arbuckle. You're going to give birth to a fine, healthy litter of puppies. Whoa. And uh, Garfield thinks, I hate puppies. So the apparently original intent of, well, it's hard to say what the original intent was. I guess that the coffee had nothing to do with it. And the nurse is just saying, I don't know. It, basically, this is just spouting off. The cu- it's a cup of dog cum. This, this podcast is s- starting off in the deep end. 
This is how it's we usually start. start. Off talking it's about a cu- <laughs> okay, good. It's a cup of cum, dog cum, that he drinks, and then you know, confusingly, is set going to impregnate him, and uh, it's you know, it's a big thing, uh, a meme we call it, uh, but. When comics become popular, they're memes, not comics, for some reason. And, uh, you know, what what the original intent of the comic uh, has it could be is perplexing. And so it's the dog come Garfield comic. It's kind I of mean, a there's, statement there's... against a public health care option, I think. Yeah. I'm just like, if yeah. you leave even your coffee up to these healthcare professionals, they're going to serve you dog cum. And they think that makes you pregnant with dogs. <laughs> there's like a solid chance I consumed this comic as a child because I used to get the big three packs. Remember the one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the I had those. three packs. Yeah, and uh, for a while, I'm sure that I thought that that's how you got pregnant was drinking cum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is that John's like reaction shot where he's like vibrating and his eyes have double pupils is that his mouth sort of squinches into looking like a, a dog's butthole. Yeah. <laughs> I guess there are just so many leaps of logic in a row happening in the like. Why is there a cup of dog cum? Why is it served as coffee? Where else are you gonna put it? Yeah, I I don't know where you would put it. Not in a cup. Not in a vial of some in a dog house in a house for semen. Now you know there could be there could be an answer in that a lot of these strips you know are serialized and. There could be a storyline, and, and it could be explained by the uh, the comic that became came before it, or or maybe after it. But that's not what uh, taking things out of context and making them popular online is about. So it's just going to remain a mystery. And the comic is funny, and it's about dog cum, as far as I'm concerned. That's why we wake up every morning. Yeah. Okay, I'm glad we're doing this episode because we end up talking about Scott Adams extensively. I would say at least once every six months. And okay. I think it's only We're been due. three months since the last one, but we will be oh, doing no, it's it again. Accelerating. <laughs> you might have to take a nine month break after this. Cause. Well, I'm <laughs> hoping this time we kind of get it all out of our system. Honestly, yeah. there's no need to go back. I submitted afterwards. myself to way too much Scott Adams over the past couple of days. And I blame you guys. I do. I'm... I do want to get there. I mean, that is our fault because I was like, by the way, look up all of the Scott Adams you can for this, <laughs> because it's somewhat of a forte of the podcast. So, I I, I kind of tried to avoid Scott Adams in a way because I I don't like giving him attention, and and he thinks if 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 you give him attention, then you know he's influenced you because he's in the, he's this weird like he has this like influencer shit that he's obsessed with, yeah. and I read his whole book. I read his whole Think Bigly book. And uh, I can tell you about that. But I, you know, he went through the whole racist meltdown thing recently. And I looked, I looked up like the other day, I was just like, what the fuck is Scott Adams up to like two weeks after that whole thing? And I looked him up and the first tweet is just everything is racist. That's that's the the tweet. And then there's just like thousands of people responding to him. They're just like, brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Scott, you've cracked it. The uh, dill we, burrito just, unwrapped. And they're like, and then there are people like, but if everything's racist, then nothing can be racist. And he responds to them. And he's like, now you're starting to pick up on things. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, aye, aye, aye. I'm trying I to just th- watched <clears throat> an hour of his like coffee with Scott Adams thing. And oh, yeah. everything he was talking, he, he went on a rant for about 15 minutes, yelling at people in his chat saying, 
the Democrats are racist. That's the only thing they can do. Ukraine, that's about racism. Climate change, that's about racism. Uh, the bank failures, that's about racism. And then he starts talking about the bell curve. Oh, no. Always, <laughs> always, always a good sign. <laughs> And then he's like, well, you know, certain groups have lower IQs, mm. but that shouldn't make you racist. <laughs> I really uh, I dropped out of the conversation after I saw him end a tweet with like, uh, long story short, I am black. And then <laughs> end of thread <laughs> yeah. explains his IQ. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he does. I, I don't know what he what he he tries to do. He's. I, I think he's um, a not smart guy who has convinced himself he's one of the smartest people on the planet. His whole thing is about how he's, uh, you know, he's not just an influencer and a brain genius, but a, a linguistics expert, a trained hypnotist, a uh -huh. business expert. And he writes these self-help books. He's actually been doing it kind of the whole time, like since the late nineties, like business self-help. And then he sort of jumps on whatever trend. So he did a, he got really obsessed with Trump because Trump is fascinating and has a brilliant and bizarre, like rhetorical style. And he just like fell in love with it and wrote this entire book. That's just sort of like riffing on Trump and how it's like, how he's so brilliant, how he does linguistic kill shots, you know, like his nicknames, meatball Ron. Right. Like that's a good one. That's in Scott Adams lingo. That's a linguistic kill shot. <laughs> There's no way Ron is coming back from this. Yeah, <laughs> he did, to his credit, predict Trump's election. I remember in 2016 him saying using the hypnotism argument that Trump was this master hypnotist who was convincing the American people. I mean, I guess it doesn't you know, he didn't win the popular vote. So that's a flaw in that argument. But uh, I came across recently his. um Brain surgery history. Have you guys heard about this? No, that's one I'm not up on. I'm more of a uh, uh, Scott Williams divorce aficionado. Tell me oh. about the uh, brain surgeries. So he has spasmatic uh, dysphonia, I think it's called. And he cannot to listen to our podcast if I am chewing. <laughs> <laughs> From what I've seen in the reviews. <laughs> I'm sure he'd come up with an explanation for why that's racist against white people or something. But he uh, it's it's like a disconnect between your vocal cords and your uh, brain. And I wish it was worse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. He couldn't talk for a long time. And somehow and that was great for the rest of us. Uh, but somehow he got like Botox injections into his vocal cords and he started to speak again, and he couldn't even draw his cartoons. He had to do them on the computer, which I believe he still does now. Hmm. Uh, and there are people who say, mm -hmm. yeah, we knew him before he had this issue and got all the treatment and stuff, and he was, like, normal. And something mm. happened there with this... Some people say it was, like, a lobotomy, uh, but he <laughs> has... He's very high functioning for somebody who has a lobotomy. I will give him that. I like how the some people say that's a very uh, yeah. You know, some, some say he's, he he has no frontal lobe. Some people, say, <laughs> some people say he got Botox injections into his vocal cords. Some people say they put an ice pick up into his brain and moved it around. And uh, <laughs> there is what? that story of that like old uh, old Western guy who was tamping down in a tunnel. 
with like a steel rod and then oh, yeah. he accidentally set off uh like a, a a railroad explosion and it shot the steel rod that's like his height all the way through his head and then the guy went on completely changed his personality had a complete hole through his head that you could look through for the rest of his life and he went on to just be like a, a guy and he lived for like another 20 years wow. Uh, completely changed his personality because any brain damage will completely change who you are. And then he moved to like Ecuador and became a, a, a wagon driver. I was hoping you were going to be like, and that man made Dilbert. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the inspiration for Ratbert is the guy who got his <laughs> head blown apart. That's right. There's two holes in each of his pieces of hair is covered. Yeah. Uh, I, I honestly have great affection for Ratbert because it's at least drawn funny. Oh yeah, he's got like a he's got like a wiggly body. So the, you know, kudos to of, Scott. The moving parts of Dilbert have a lot of positives, and I guess that can maybe be attributed to the fact that he designed a lot of them before personality altering brain surgery. I guess I'm learning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't read a ton of Dilbert, but I think you know he obviously tapped into something about like '90s office culture. Right, uh, but you know. The reason why Office Space has good politics and Dilbert doesn't is because Office Space has like class consciousness to it. And Dilbert, like he ultimately is uh, the type of the type of thing he's satirizing is what he's become and really what he always was. It's like he doesn't want he he's like because he started out in these in some tech companies and banks and shit in the 90s. And, he you know, he's a guy who thought he was smarter than the middle managers and the bosses. And that's his real beef is that, you know, uh, he, I mean, he's a libertarian right-wing capitalist guy. Like his, his problem is just that like everyone else is, is dumber than him. Right. And the, under a just system, he should be the boss. It shouldn't be the pointy haired yeah. boss, Yeah, which is why it's confusing because it seems like at first glance as you read Dilbert and you're like, Oh, the boss is stupid. It's an anti-boss comic book yeah. when really yeah. it's just, it's it's that there's been a mistake, <laughs> and Dilbert should be the president of Dilbert Town. Yeah, I I found a I went on the Dilbert Reddit yesterday, which uh, was a journey it, itself because it's both a group of people who like hate Scott Adams, uh, and then people who love Scott Adams and he can do no wrong. And then there's people who are inspired by Scott Adams racism and want to do even more racism. Uh, so there's a bunch of like versions of the comic where people substituted racist Chinese caricatures in for some of the car- uh, characters. Uh, oh, nice. That was I cool. Like, I like the idea of like, you know, a title card on a movie inspired by Scott Adams racism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is interesting because I mean, and I have not read Dilbert since I was literally a child, pretty much. But I do not remember the comic itself having much substance to it, at least in the in the direction that he has now, where he is an open uh, pro-Trump uh, race scientist slash apologist kind of guy. I don't know. It seems like uh, he's he, uh, he he's interested in maintaining his pile of money he has, and that he did that through making mundane observations about like the coffee machine and stuff. And he still knows yeah. where his bread is buttered. There, maybe I'm wrong. I have I have not seen his recent stuff. Somebody from the Reddit wrote a script that 
of course, it's somebody from Reddit, from the Dilbert Reddit, wrote a script to c- compile all the Dilbert comics into one website. Mm. Uh, and it has a random function. And so I was just hitting that last night. And there's a marked difference between like the ones from 1997 and then 2004. Like the ones in 1997, honestly, frankly, pretty good. Sort of funny. Making fun of like engineer brain. Uh, I'll give it kudos. A little ding noise. Ding. Good. I, I, I think uh, what happened, yeah. Yeah, it, go, it, get, it goes bad, though. It gets, like, really mundane. That may have been because of the nerve. So apparently he had an operation around that time where they cut the nerve that goes to the main muscle in spasm, and they grafted a new nerve in its place to prevent that muscle from atrophying. That was his thinking muscle. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I love this human centipede element <laughs> we're adding. In, <laughs> a, doctor, <laughs> a doctor came into the room and pulled out a little jar and with tweezers, this put a, a brain worm in his ear and it crawled in through <laughs> and his then canal. And uh, informed him that his brain was pregnant with And puppy. then it's, it's driving. It's inside his brain now driving. <laughs> <laughs> so Dilbert is a really good measure of kind of the uh, cultural shift that has happened in mainstream politics in America in the last 20 years, I think, because Scott Adams has gone from being essentially the fucking gray wallpaper ass personality that everyone was sort of aware of from having a TV show to being an outspoken right wing agitator. Uh, i Want to move on from that? Um, if we come back to Dilbert, and we probably will, we could go farther into Dilbert. I, but I want to talk about comics in general. What What do you guys read? Like I was talking to Ben before the show started. He said that he's not like a big like sun um uh like a uh, indie comics guy. Yeah, I'm not even a comics guy to be honest. Like most of my comics, Matt has sent me. Uh, I do. I have been reading the ones that. I, I'm really into Mobius. I really like Mobius. It's pronounced Morbius. Uh, Morbius. He's I a like vampire. Mor- I like to <laughs> like morb so. around. <clears throat> Morbin time. It's Morbin it's more time. time. Uh, yeah, I've re- I've read a ton of comics my whole life. I mean, I like Marvel and DC stuff. Marvel and DC stuff, and uh, a lot of indie comics. I read a ton of X Men and all that kind of crap. And you know, I'm, in, I'm kind of into most everything comics wise. Um, Tell them about your love of Spawn, Matt. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah, I read everything. Yeah, I'm into, uh, you know, Dan Klaus and Chris Ware and all the... No, D- Spawn. No, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm framing it. I'm into, like, the, the D&Q and fanographic stuff a lot. Also mainstream Spawn. stuff. And then I've read Spawn monthly since it started coming out in 1992 when I was oh. nine. Is Spawn still coming out? Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. I have, you know, 300 and... 30 some issues to uh to prove it yeah todd mcfarland writes it he, he he stopped drawing it at like issue nine yeah spawn is on autoplay by this point <laughs> what do you yeah, need to know about spawn i assume it's the same thing over and over again like a clown a weird snake then a clown again yeah you know it comes back to the same uh same stuff same villains plots themes it's um i wouldn't uh, suggest anyone, you know, start reading it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like it's, One Piece. You have to read a, a abridged version yeah, that cuts yeah, the, through the, the pacing. The, the, the reason why I still read Spawn is because I uh, got out of monthly comic books probably in the, whenever Why the Last Man ended, which is, I don't know, 2005. 
or something huh. like that. Maybe. I don't remember exactly when it was. And uh, what was that noise? It just that was longer ago than I guessed it was. <laughs> I felt old in a very sudden whiplashing feeling uh, I didn't like. Your valve closed. <laughs> Spawn. And you know, I had this moment where I was like I was like, well, I feel like I'm done with monthly comics, but I'm still reading Spawn. Am I gonna just keep coming into the store and getting spawn? And then I was and then I said, yeah. I am. I'm going to, I want to see how far I can go and, you know, keep reading something continuously. So I just sort of uh, made a vow to never stop reading it. So I'm not. You know what you like at this point, and it's garbage heroes, if I understand correctly. <laughs> <laughs> like a rat king of superheroes. Well, yeah. that's interesting. Spawn, because there's a Spawn movie, like 97, 98, and that was before comic book movies were like a big thing. Yeah. Uh, but Spawn was, it's weird though, because they would have these like one-off movies about minor characters around that era. Mm -hmm. What was up with that? Why would they? I think it's like the IP for the big guys was probably too expensive. And that Superman, because there was the Christopher Reeve Superman, and that ended up being a fucking train wreck for the studio because Superman 1 and Superman 2 were shot as like these uh, giant epics at the same time. And it ended up going way over budget. And then they didn't really make their money with Superman 2. And then you get like Superman 3. Same thing, I think, with Batman. Just like these incredibly expensive tentpole movies. And uh, I, I think like the sort of minor superhero guys are sort of were sort of sold as like, OK, there's an IP. There's like marketing attached to it. We'll there was like a, a mid-budget yeah. film with these guys. Well, well, there was a lot of stuff in the 90s that was uh, derived from comic books. You know, uh, The Mask, Tank Girl, right. um, The Crow, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. I think one of the appeals was, I mean, The Mask doesn't fit into this, but, you know, gritty, dark stuff was popular. That's how you get Spawn in The Crow. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, the I guess it's... The Mask is super dark, though. Not oh, the, the movie. The comic's awesome. Yeah. Um, I love <laughs> the comic. People forget Men in Black was also a, a, yeah. like a pretty gritty comic book as well. It was a DC like one shot. It was just like it wasn't even an IP. It was just somebody really liked it and yeah. wrote a movie based on it, which sort of went way beyond the impact of the comic. The first Men in Black movie is very solid. I rewatched it a few years oh, ago and I was like, I didn't think this like had value outside of child brain. And I was dead wrong. No, it's pretty well made. It It's God good Adam's storytelling. Brain. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Even a Scott Adams brain could appreciate that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure it's beautiful to look at. Um, I was talking to Ben before the show started, and he said he hadn't read Transmetropolitan, which I th- was surprised by because I was reading Justice Warriors before this started, and I was like, "This, I love this. And I know I am saying that on a podcast where you're guesting, so I would lie if I didn't love it, but I genuinely do. Like, this is extremely my shit. I really enjoy it. And it was giving me a lot of Transmetropolitan vibes. Matt, have you read Transmetropolitan? What do you think of that? Yeah, I did. Uh, but I read it a long time ago, and and I never finished it, which uh, it sounds bad because now I'm, like, uh, friends a little bit with Derek Robertson, the you know the artist. Oh, awesome! So uh, I feel bad. I feel bad uh, admitting that, but that's the truth. Um, yeah, I think Justice Warriors, not intentionally, because especially because Ben, uh, you know, made the world of Justice Warriors and hadn't read it. But people have said that it's got some transmetropolitan vibes, and 
and even some other stuff, maybe not as popular. Did you ever read Top Ten by Alan Moore? I have not. That's a police procedural that takes place in a city. Uh, I forget it has a name, sort of like Megapolis or you know something like that. I don't remember. <laughs> Metropolis, whatever. Sci-fi but city town. The premise is every single person is a superhero slash mutant. They all have superpowers. So the cops, you know, it's kind of crazy. You have a dog head guy and everyone has powers. And But it's more straightforward. It's like they play it pretty straight. It's like a straightforward police procedural type thing. And it's good for what it is. So Justice Warriors is kind of like that in that it's this uh, world of where every single person is a, is a weird mutant or cartoon character, except it's uh ultra violent and we follow the police who are bad and um there's a lot of critiques of capitalism and stuff like that in it they're bad but it's very funny like that you are rooting for them the whole time to do their terrible crimes and they do yeah (laughs) and you love it um yeah we wanted we, we sort of wanted to put uh put people in a position where you know it's 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 sort of a typical setup in that they have to save the city, right? It's like a buddy cop thing. It's bad boys, but yeah. one of the characters is uh, literally made of feces. Yeah, and they have to save the city and they have to stop the uh there's sort of an anti-cop movement, but they're they're crazy on their own in in all sorts of ways. Um but in in rooting for them or in having them be the protagonists, you kind of see how fucked up the system is and that saving the city just means preserving the status quo. Yeah, it's this really good synthesis of the fact that some of the best American media that we've like produced as a country in the last 50 years has been these propaganda action films. And mm-hmm. I think there's this knee-jerk reaction to be like, oh those are bad. Like RoboCop was bad. You were bad to, you were wrong to enjoy (laughs) bad boys, but that is wrong because those are fantastic movies to watch. Like they're very entertaining. And, uh, justice warriors is doing this great thing where it is giving you that, but then also supplying the, like, uh, even in just the opening scene, it's just cops using human shields back and forth in a gun. (laughs) gun It's just really entertaining. Like no one is, uh, accidentally, uh, on the cop side to think like, Oh, they are yeah. the paragon of justice here. Yeah, I think it's, um, I mean, RoboCop is a big influence, you know, in a world where there's like RoboCop and Judge Dredd and stuff like that. We wanted, we wanted, we had to like ramp up justice warriors, like the absurdity, the violence, the how political it is. Um, we wanted it to be completely over the top. I think, you know, RoboCop is more of a, you know, intentional satire. I think Bad Boys is a so, sort of an apolitical action film. But, yeah. you know, you I can... <laughs> Michael Bay accidentally makes brilliant art, I think. He's... I, I think he, he's such a dumb guy, uh, but like a genius filmmaker. He's a genius filmmaker, but he's such a dumb guy that he just like reflects American dumb guyness perfectly back onto you. So you, I, I watch his films as comedies and satires and I just laugh my fucking ass off. I will say bad boys too. Some of the cinematography in that movie is genuinely incredible. Oh yeah. He's a genius. He's yeah. a genius in, in like visually communicating um, moods, but you listen to Michael Bay talk and he's just like, <laughs> uh, I wanted, I wanted it to be intense. And that's like the <laughs> limit of his reflection on his own work. Cause he just wants interesting shots that cut into more interesting shots and from that you get optimus prime halo jumping onto an oil refinery and exploding the entire way down which is uh 
high you art. Can, in you my can't opinion. argue it's not intense. And no, you can't. It's yeah. objectively yeah. intense. Uh, he's he's you know he's scoring what he's going for. It's great art. In this scene, yeah, I'm thinking guns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how we start out writing Justice Warriors. Sometimes we are like, well, you know, we want something to happen. Uh, so we're like, how do we how do we make this happen visually, make it interesting, and uh, blow people up, and you know. Yeah, we, I really want to blow more people up next time. I, I sent a text to Matt the other day of like, we need breakdance fighting. Absolutely. Well, I have, a, I have a question about the one of the opening scenes. You have, um, spoiler alert, a, a police officer dies. and uh, Tragically. Yeah. He yeah, trigger warning a- for, I guess, bereaved widows of police officers. <laughs> <laughs> In Bubble City, especially. Yeah. Uh, but he has bears a striking, striking, uncanny resemblance to uh, Nick Fury, a, a comic book character. I'm, I'm wondering the significance of that. Was was Nick Fury an influence on this specific guy, and what's the uh, significance there? Uh, I think just basically through osmosis, uh, I accidentally drew Nick Fury. <laughs> that's that's the limit of it. He's a yeah. good. I was like oh, a guy with like. <laughs> stripy hair and an eye patch. Yeah. You, you know yeah. what I, so Ben, Ben designed them before Ben came to me, like Ben came to me with the idea of justice warriors and the characters I harassed already, Matt online. Yeah. Already made. And then we formed a, uh, you know, creative partnership and I co-write it. That's the basics. But so Rogers to me is <clears throat> he's like us doing away with the arch archetypal, like badass competent cop at the mm-hmm. beginning of the series. You know, he's kind of he's like Nick Fury, he's Nick Fury-esque. He's uh Judge Dredd-esque in a way. Um all you know, dirty hairy. He kind of embodies all of those types. And we get you know, we run him over with a self-driving bus on page uh, eight, and then you go into Swamp, his partner, you know, holding his dead body, and then Swamp uh gets assigned an even dumber new partner in shit who is a walking uh pile of He's shit pile a of shit, shit mutant whose head kind of looks like the poop emoji. Uh, see, and- I just thought he was a German guy. Wow. S E G H I You'll you'll learn later in the book that shit is actually his wife's name and he's yanking it. Uh yeah. For a yeah yeah for a uh pile of shit he has a very hot wife. It's just it's just how it is in the U.S. Like a Jessica yeah. Rabbit situation, one hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. And she's drawn like a uh, a Charles Burns girl with uh, a tail. So she's like a hot, normal-looking woman, but she has a tail. Like that's her mutation. Charles Burns. If you if you did. Oh, Black people, Hole. People who this don't is one know. Of the, so. This is one of the few comics I have read. Is Black Hole is really good. People should go out and buy it uh, at the same time they buy Justice Warriors. Oh, I've read Black Hole. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it's like a, it's like a, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. for anyone yeah. who doesn't know, he's like, you may have seen his work on the cover of the believer. He has a really, uh, memorable, like, uh, ink black and white ink style. That's very clean. And justice warriors, the, the world of justice warriors is weird. I mean, speaking of a Jessica rabbit situation, it's like, there are actual, it's like there's cartoon characters, like we're drawing everything, but then there are like literal tunes that exist, like tune characters exist within the universe. And, you know, like people can be drawn like in an Arkham style or a Charles Burns style. It's just, we're trying to make 
the kind of the craziest universe that you can conjure up. Yeah, everything's allowed in it, except uh, inside this like <laughs> except giant, jaywalking, except jaywalking, <laughs> where you will have your legs blown off by a octopus. Sure, and there's a hundred percent no crime too, which is always the great start for a sci-fi uh, 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 setting. Yes, it's there's no crime in the bubble. To be clear, in Bubble City, it's crime-free, diverse, prosperous, uh, a lot of good uh, streaming shows and places it's to shop. No crime. There's only condo developments and banks. Yeah, so which don't commit any crimes. No, there's no crime. And outside of the bubble is the uninhabited zone which is inhabited by millions and millions of uh, mutants sort of an endless slum that you you never even see the end of in the comic and uh that's crime infested of course and so it needs policed by by other mutants i just wish that they could i don't know uh, act with the the manner of uh, control that the people in the bubble can do you know the you know the the kind of yeah they're just upstanding disgusting morals yeah it's disgusting the way that they act how they how they carry themselves are either of you manga guys do you read any uh like uh non-american comics i mostly read non-american comics i would say like i uh i just got this one weird one that i saw someone post about if anyone just ever mentions a manga i try not to stick to stuff that people have shown although you don't want to read the hits you're not like like other girls the really the really good stuff that i want to find it's very hard to find the volume ones like i can't even Mm. find a volume one of chainsaw man which is what i really want to read i really want to read chainsaw man that's gotta be that's if it's not available it's gotta be like the volume one was out of print the the past two times i went to look for i have i I have have great news for you about piracy on the internet because i have read all of transmetropolitan for free Uh, no i'm the the same as ben i i'm online all day i work on a laptop and shit i i will i will there's no amount of money i won't spend on comic books basically you know i want to read everything in print like an idiot i don't care uh, I haven't read a lot of uh, Japanese comics, though. I mean, I've, you know, I've read classic stuff, Ghost in the Shell and Akira, which was very formative to me. I'm trying to read more modern things because there's so much now and there's so many that people read. I want to be, uh, you know, <laughs> comics literate in uh, these uh, these comics everyone's talked about. I haven't started Chainsaw Man. Um, I read Ping Pong a, a year or two ago, which is like a... Uh, 2000 page comic about uh teenagers that are competitive ping pong players and damn that's good uh, weirdly i mean i found it I've, uh, i thought it was really well done i, I do not understand how the young man's uh, uh matrix of child's animation in japan makes shit that is so good i've been watching this show blue lock that's coming out there's like the new hot show in japan right now and it is just about young men playing soccer I have had no interest in soccer my entire life. This is now my favorite show. I cannot That's stop it's watching really it. About, what's it really about? Friendship and uh, struggle? And what's it about? It's about friendship. And, well, you know, Sorry. earlier when you guys were like, I'm thinking of things to put in the next Justice Wars. I think I need a guy breakdance fighting. They yeah. just put in stuff like that. And they're like, That's yeah, yeah. soccer. That's a move you can do in soccer sometimes. <laughs> in the, it, they have like a, they have a really, um, 
uh, talent-based studio system. So they'll like find really talented visual storytellers and like bring them up and put projects underneath of them. Like uh, I feel like the Japan Japanese animated industry has a lot. There's a lot to be said about like how rigidly hierarchical it is, but at least it's a bit of a meritocracy. Like you have a lot more auteurs making really great work in the Japanese animated system than the sludge that we get served. It's a a fascinating contrast because on the one hand, they do have like a functioning machine that promotes talent in a way that is awe inducing when they, it comes out. But on the other hand, it's a terrifying machine because people are locked into working. Like if you've uh, looked into any of the, uh, uh, Miyazaki bios or anything. It's the same mm-hmm. kind of thing we get in American uh, liter- literary circles where it's just like these workaholics get promoted to the top and they spend mm-hmm. 100 hours a week writing and that is the standard for everybody. And so everyone yeah. is underpaid and overworked in a horrifying scale because their animation industry is huge. Um, yeah, and then you have like this formalized um, Asian uh, reverence system like, like this... Uh, the son, like Miyazaki son, like, Oh, he's like a God above me. And I have to like work really hard to get his attention. This, uh, cultural element, like in South Korea, they even have like a different set of like, uh, language and pronouns to refer to like rever revered elders. Yes. Then for everyone else. So like there that. is there is yeah i deserve I, to be a son i, I identify as a son and a n- need new pronouns now <laughs> yeah, i'm not sure all of this are is... uh son <laughs> i i don't know much i don't know but much about the animation industry over there but i do know that a lot of the guys that make the mangas have you know they pump in this shit out at an insane volume and they have a bunch of assistants that draw the backgrounds and do the zipatones and all that and i'm sure they're not paid uh a, a king's ransom or anything like that but that is even to have assistance draw drawing with you that's extremely rare in the u.s i mean that's I, I i get why they can do eight volume books in five years because if they have a team of people working with them right it's a huge collaborative process and that actually <laughs> yeah. does lead uh, the conversation to uh what i want to talk about next and maybe these are questions mostly for matt i don't know if ben has experience here but what is it like working in animation in the u.s I know that the well, animation union in Hollywood uh, is t- famously having a lot of difficulty this year and uh, they're being squeezed it, it, out. 2D animators are some of the only people in film that don't have reliable representation from a union. Like it can be pretty bad. Um, there, there was a push recently that I saw of people trying to get a union off the ground, a, a fair deal for animation, but I don't think it went anywhere. Uh, animation is a really brutal industry uh and i mean that even like in a physical way because you are hunched over like uh my i have a um i have a pinched nerve in my hand uh where like half my hand is now permanently numb i can't feel this part of my hand anymore oh, bro Just that's in- the best part i know i've been enjoying it uh from a different angle uh but like i like my hand will like crimp up sometimes Uh and i have to do like i know right (laughs) we gotta get someone coming to your house and giving you like the well like like i'm doing tissue massage i'm doing like physio and shit because the amount of hours that and the intensity that you have to work to be profitable is 
really insane. And I don't even work in a studio context. I'm, I'm entirely independent and freelance. So I get to at least keep the surplus labor that I produce animators, like people who work at, uh, in Montreal, we have a really big studio sphere animation. These guys have no representation. They're just contract and they're just ground to bits. Uh, most of the time because they're fresh out of school and they haven't developed any real skills that they can leverage for better conditions. But artists across the creative creative digital industries uh, have it really rough, like video games too. It's all sort of like the same class of worker and they uh, they get really exploited pretty badly and then they don't see any upside. Uh, Matt, you've worked more in the Comics. actual... Yeah. Well, but you've even had more experience in like, like actual corporate animation than I have with uh, the nib show. Cause everything I do is just independent. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's, it was, uh, we worked with uh, Augen Blick studios for that. So this was like sh- uh, short political cartoons, essentially that was like a five minute web show. And in that five minutes, there was like four different shorts and we would do the storyboards and scripts and even the, the key art, they would sort of base everything off of the characters we drew. Cause we had different cartoonists with different styles. So Augen Blick is really, you know, highly revered and they've done a bunch of comedy central adult swim type stuff. But I think it's, you know, uh, a lot of the, um, my understanding is that, you know, a lot of the animators are, they're, they're contractors and not even employees of the studio because work comes and goes in such, you know, in, in peaks and valleys. And, Mm -hmm. uh, so they don't, they don't maintain staffs and a lot of the people who do, uh, a lot of the grunt work in, all animation as far as I understand, or, you know, a lot of young people trying to break in who are don't have children yet or <laughs> the need to uh, not work uh 14 hour days or something. Um, I don't know if it was like that on our show. Cause I wasn't in the, in the studio, but I think that's, I think that's just how everything is produced. Adult yeah, Swim is I, a, a fascinating example because, you know, as someone who does enjoy a lot of the stuff they put up uh, the floor for um payment on creating a full television show is staggering. Like, uh, I, I have a yeah. friend who made something for them. They gave him like a few hundred dollars I, and that's, yeah, yeah. and then you just give them a TV show. Like they have that. And that's like, it's kind of expected. You have to just, I guess, pay your due. It's almost stand up comedy levels approaching of, uh, <laughs> labor theft. It feels. Yeah. You know, we want to get, Justice Warriors, uh, we would love for Justice Warriors to be made into an, uh, an animated show. So uh, if that were to ever happen, we, w- we would have to reconcile ourselves with some, uh, you know, Holly- are you <laughs> willing say to, Hollywood system. But are you start to compromising accept, now. Are you yeah. willing to accept drink tickets in exchange for... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the real question is whether our animators are willing to accept drink tickets in exchange for... <laughs> That's, That's right. The thing. <laughs> You're talking to the CEOs whether, here. You know, we got to, I think um, we want to hook up with a, with a Japanese studio though, that can kind of, uh, you know, inflect it with uh, the kind of action necessary that, you know, we'd, there's like uh, American animation, adult animation, you know, is like Bob's Burgers type stuff, and which is fine. But I think we need to make Justice Warriors like the most kinetic and insane show that it can be we need like a japanese studio involved 
Yeah, ninety percent of the show will just be still images of the characters with their mouths flapping, and then there will be a solid two minutes of someone drop kicking a sniper rifle out of a moving train into a hot dog vendor that then explodes. American That's- animation, the trend I think is Rick and Morty and South Parkification of every comedic premise so that you can yeah, make the show for five dollars. <laughs> it's it's all like it's I have so many opinions about this. And I think partially it's because of it's sort of like the the training pipeline. Like we've turned even animation school into a factory where we're not training artists anymore. Like uh, I know a lot of animators because um, I have a really great friend, Pascal, here in Montreal, who's trying to organize uh, an animation co-op. Uh, which I'm helping them with. And a lot of people are trying to like, or try to get off the ground, like a 2d animators union. But most of the people that I've met, these young people coming into the industry, they don't know how to draw, but they're animators. Like they're not being trained as artists. They're being trained as like technicians to interact with the, uh, the, the production line. Uh, There's, like they're just like um, iPhone assembly people to a certain extent. And so you got to like force feed them like a certain type of work. You have to give them a certain type of file that they know how to use, that they've been trained on, and then they can animate it. And there's real like artistic and technical limitations to how that looks. And so that's why I think everything looks the same is that we're really it's a lot of companies sponsoring how things are put together. It's the same, like three pieces of software used by everyone. And so you get this like uh, total market uniformity. That's fascinating. Um, what do you guys think about the AI animation debate? Have you seen the AI anime that they put out a few weeks ago? I have yeah. a lot of thoughts about this. Matt, go, you go first. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't love it. I mean, I, I, I saw Adobe... <laughs> Adobe put out some sort of AI art tool. I haven't looked into it enough yet, but I don't, I'm not going to use this stuff. I mean, I don't care about it. I guess there's, there's an intense within comics and indie comics, especially, which is like my circle I run in a lot. I mean, there's a intense, uh, hatred of this stuff. Like, you know, Luddite smash the machine mindset. And, you know, I kind of agree in that, you know, I don't want people to lose their jobs and, be replaced with robots uh even though in a way i uh, ultimately my most utopian politics is, is like a you know luxury communism where machines uh can do all the labor for us and aren't owned by corporations uh but in that even in that world i if we all don't have to go to work and we can sit around and uh be creative um i don't want machines to do that so i don't mean i don't know it's just uh, uh, it's it's happening i think it's already going to kind of obliterate um i don't know you know i i see people doing it kind of uh, for lack of a better word memes you know it's like if you want to see trump as a bodybuilder smashing getting biden in a headlock you can now go create that on uh whichever one it is mid journey or whatever the i don't know all the names of them right would you like to see and- 5000 images of trump getting arrested this week yeah. Until it is well, no longer funny to you out, somehow. Somebody put out um somebody put out Trump like resisting arrest and that was getting like thousands of retweets. And then I saw somebody do something, it was kind of funny. It was like the all the US presidents as villains, like comic book villain type stuff. And it was kind of amusing, but it was like, oh, 
this is just AI shit that this guy made for engagement. But then I'm like, what's the argument for someone to sit around and take uh, 14 days to draw <laughs> all of the U.S. presidents so they can sell some prints of it on their website? So uh, I don't know where it's going, but I think it's kind of a it's my point is, it's kind of going to obliterate that space of art of like, you know, oh, I made this interesting fan art or I did Simpsons as the walking dead and I, and I want to draw whatever, you know, all that type of shit. Cause now anyone can just make it in an afternoon or in a few minutes, I guess. So. Yeah. It's really cutting out like unskilled labor to like the, the animated thing that you're talking about. Um, like Ralph Bakshi did stuff that looks exactly like that in the seventies. Basically um, it's rotoscoping. Like you're just tracing images. And, right. and which is basically what the AI was doing is it was looking at a, a I, I watched like the technical overview because I'm like, Ooh, can I use this? Cause that's my take on it. It's a tool. It's like my Cintiq. It's like Photoshop. It's like anything. It's a tool. People said the exact same things about photography. When photography came around, um, photography came around and it obliterated an entire group of painters market, right? Like mid tier painters, gone. Uh, and what it did is it created cubism abstraction because people had to move away from what this machine could do better than them. And that's what I think is going to happen. The, the issue is that those people need to be retrained. Those people who are getting pushed out are angry because these decisions have been made without any of their consent with any of their control, it's capitalism. Like we invented a thing that's going to give us a bunch of nice new pictures of Trump running away from cops. <laughs> uh, and it hasn't compensated any of the people that it put out of, uh, out of work from copying their work or scraping their work. Uh, but literally there's nothing we can do about it. Um, and as an artist, uh, it, I have used uh, Midjourney. I've used some of the stuff. I have it on my uh, workstation that I'm going to use even on my current project. And it's really enticing because it can generate a certain type of image really fast. So if I want like a painted background for an animation, like what I'm going to take like three days to paint a castle, or am I going to take two minutes to have the AI paint the castle? And Siri, then give me up? a castle resisting arrest. <laughs> yeah 100 and often it comes up with uh images that you wouldn't like it's actually quite creative it doesn't know it's creative that's the thing about it is like we put all the meaning onto it like there's still human interaction with the ai the ai is just blurting out noise and then most of the time it's garbage but then sometimes it'll come up with something that's really funny or clever or even aesthetically interesting and then you see it and like pull the, pull the goodness out of it. Like I, it's a tool. Uh, I'm trying to figure out if it's even like super useful yet. Uh, I feel like it's going to get really, there's like this whole class of painter on these art websites. What are those art station who just draw like uh, perfectly airbrushed elf hot girl. And I'm sorry, ah. they are out of a job. Yeah. <laughs> Getting laid off from the elf airbrushing hot girl factory. This used to be a proper country. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Drop smoking hot elves. I like that, like, you know, my, my dad's generation is like, we used to have pensions. We used to have union jobs, making things with our hands and, you know, steel mills. And our generation is like, ah, my buddy uh, made quite a killing doing elf porn until <laughs> uh, Mid Journey Volume 4 came out. And then I... fucking didn't have six fingers anymore. And then everyone started using it i know quite a few twitter accounts that i follow who have this level of hysteria of like my livelihood is over because they're no longer because not safe for work elf porn is now open to the masses well you gotta uh, the the pro ai argument here of course is easy to make which is the the demand for such the images you know specific porn images that i want of elves i want you know anything you can think of really you know that Pregnant you want done to elf summoning. what do you, you got to pay a guy a hundred bucks per image to get it to jack off to it's not but fair here's the, here's the upside <laughs> francis uh francis ford coppola said a video that it's gonna create the conditions where like a 12 year old in wyoming is really going to show spielberg how it's done right like if you do yeah. it's same thing with video versus film like it's going to open up uh the means of production for lack of a better term for other people to do things that they wouldn't have been able to do. And really the interesting thing about images is not the, is the intelligence and intention behind them and what it communicates. It's not specifically how it was made. Like it doesn't matter if I use oils or watercolors, it matters that I painted uh, Garfield drinking cum. Well, sure. I, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I have, you know, plenty of concerns about AI, but I, you know, a lot of, uh, photoshopping and all that stuff was initially derided. And even in comics, like I saw someone post, it's been 20 years since the debut of, uh, get your war on. I don't know. You guys are I do really not younger. Know I don't even know how old you are. Um, get your war on the comic by David Reese. That was like, uh, started out, uh, anti-Iraq war shit. It was very funny and got in Rolling Stone and was made with clip art. And a lot of those like oh, yeah. early, early web comics that were clip art type stuff. Tom Tomorrow sort of thing. Yeah, but I mean, Tom Tomorrow at least kind of like draws his own stuff in a clip art style. This was like uh-huh. p- public domain clip art or something, you know, of office workers talking and he would just add text. Nothing was drawn. And I know a lot of artists who bristle, used to a lot more to bristle at that kind of thing. And But there's no argument that it, you know, that it, it did help democratize comics and ha- people who don't have any drawing ability, but have writing ability to create comic. get your war on was brilliant and uh, had more to say than, than a lot of comics at the time. So I think, you know, comics is kind of an absurd comics and animation are very absurd uh, mediums. I mean, it's, very difficult it's easy to make a comic you don't need like studio funding and a whole team of people but uh comics themselves are hard you know you don't have to become a master to do them my last little point is like what about collage art like there's entire like i worked as a collage artist for a while like people own my collage you fuck you ben yeah fuck you (laughs) fuck you matt fuck you uh no stop compiling a collagist fuck yeah, I, I literally had uh, a silverfish infestation uh, in my old apartment. I had a basement apartment in uh, Winnipeg when I lived in Winnipeg. And like there were silverfish everywhere. And I'm like, what what is going on? And I like even Google 
silverfish love the glue in old books. And then I looked beside my desk and there was literally to the ceiling piles of old books that I would go through and just like harvest material. And then I was like, it was like three in the morning and I was taking it apart and finding like nests of silverfish. And I was like, I need to change my life. It's something <laughs> needs to change. And that's, <laughs> and that's when I went digital, everybody. That's one of the worst bugs you can have in your house. I feel like that's, or at least the grossest, it's one of the grossest bugs. I will stand by this opinion until my I, last I, breath. I went to like full Neanderthal mode. Cause I picked up one book and there was like a linoleum um, carving sheet for doing linograph. This is after I left art school and there was just like, it was completely covered. There was like a mother, there was like a queen in the middle and it was like surrounded by a spiral. And I was just like, smash it, die, (laughs) die. Burn my house to the ground. Yeah. Just my ape brain took over and I uh, spent the rest of that evening carting hordes of basically all my belongings to the dumpster behind my slum. And, do you think uh, you think you would ever do a comic where Silverfish show up as a villain? Perhaps it literally that's the next issue of Justice Warriors. Oh, nice. Is a, a Silverfish rides a sanitation flush onto a mutant's <laughs> head and then burrows into his skull and becomes a Democratic Party consultant? Oh wow! Oh my god! <laughs> it makes so yeah, much sense. I'm sure that's already happened in real life. Yeah, this, it hasn't been. Uh announced yet or even officially greenlit behind the scenes uh but you know we're we're uh about 99.9 percent certain that we're doing volume two of justice warriors at least at least one more volume we we want to do like 10 years worth of this it's like we you know we have just we have endless ideas for uh what we're going to do yeah, I mean, you were saying you didn't finish all of Transmetropolitan. There is so much Transmetropolitan. <laughs> There's 10 uh, compendium volumes that you can get. Oh, yeah, I hope yeah, you yeah. have that yeah. that long of a well, run. I mean, shit. honestly, we, I, that's what I want. We want to be able to, in the end, whenever we uh, whenever we stop, I want I want a omnibus, hardcover omnibus that's as big as, you know, anything that you could buy from Marvel or DC, like a 1,500-page uh, fat, fat boy. Cost five hundred dollars. It's wrapped in bronze. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to have to pay for storage space because I have so many comp copies of all yeah. this shit. Yeah, that's my goal. And what do you think the? Because there's you know like the ultimate X Men with some of these volumes or the essential something. What what uh, descriptor would you like for uh, uh, Justice War? <laughs> the introductory <laughs> Justice War. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. We have to, uh, you know, we don't just want it to be the Justice Warriors omnibus. We got to think of something Justice Warriorsy. I like in, I like the introductory Justice Warriors. Fifteen hundred pages, one hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> you have to know the Justice Warriors. <laughs> that's it. There's no other comics. It's just the introductory volume. I have the leather-bound Berserk compendiums on my bookshelf oh, yeah. right now, and it's li- it breaks purchase. the metal. <laughs> it's like a yeah. hundred pounds of book in my house. It's gross. Uh, I try to like stagger how much stuff I end up on one shelf, because I'm like very paranoid. Everything's going to just bow and I'm going to look <clears> like <throat> a, a, a a shut-in. I have a, I have a, a book problem, a uh, comic book problem <laughs> in particular, and... It, it it shows itself uh, it, like right now I'm packing up to move. We're moving about 25 minutes away in Ontario. And 
it's like every time I do, this happens, I'm like, why, why do I own so many books? Moving them is atrocious, but I can't, I just can't get rid of them. I like to look back. I like to refer to them, reread them, comic books, love them. Love them. I got my Dilbert. Got my Dilbert collections. Ooh, oh, nice. that's a whole room. That's a wing of the, of the house. <laughs> oh, well, and this is a big, big problem dispute with my wife is that I, our new house, I needed to have a, a Dilbert room. <laughs> it's like so, the, you know, the I have Garfield my home office, house. but then I kind of need like a second with secondary. your with your Dogbert pile, your Dogbert plush stuffed bed. I thought yeah. every. every your bedroom would be your Dilbert room, but am I What's wrong? Alarming? Does Scott Adams not live in like a Dilbert shaped house? <laughs> he, so my understanding is first of all, there's a, there's a picture online that's fake and it's pretty easy to tell it's fake. It's shopped. Look at the hands. Yeah. Look at the hands, <laughs> but he did, he did, I think build a Dilbert like, turret or whatever you call them oh uh, yeah i'm looking at this like right a, now a castle like thing like so he did do that in real life that's the worm talking <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean you know if you if you if you made millions of dollars millions and millions of dollars from doing that strip i mean you'd just be like yeah we'll make a fucking dilbert part of the house like a dilbert who doesn't who wouldn't want to make a dilbert head on top of my house why not who what's it going to cost fifty thousand dollars no it's nothing it's nothing to me the burritos alone cover that yeah and i wish i, I would, had yeah i know there's like a thousand dilbert auxiliary products i wish i had another one at yeah. my beck and call besides the dilburito it's great because she's made so much money off of this uh, visage of Dilbert and these these uh, figures that I don't are not all that ubiquitous. I don't see a lot of Dilbert stuff uh, IRL in the same way that I see Calvin pissing on things. Yeah, which, mm. uh, by design makes no money for yes. Bill Waterson. He he wants it that way. I assume they're all hidden in people's Dilbert wings of their. Yeah, room. I was going to say. Well, you should come to my Dilbert Dilbert room, and then you'll really get an eyeful. The thing about uh, Scott Adams is that he says that uh, what he'll be remembered for is his books on religion, <laughs> not Dilbert, which once again brings up the, this man has brain damage. Yeah. Who among us doesn't own these fantastic religion books? I think, yeah, I think he, uh, yeah, I think people stopped. I don't know if there was Dilbert plushies or whatever, but I think Dilbert merch, uh, you know, went away whenever, it was, you know, early two thousands or something like that. That's why he pivoted to these, these books in the Trump era. Uh, Cause he, I think his real problem, we were, we were talking about this earlier. I think his problem really is, a, is a lot of people's problems, which is he was on Twitter, Twitter yeah. too much. And he got, you know, like engagement brain and it's like, Oh, I'm getting, I'm saying controversial things. I'm getting a bunch of people on my live stream where I just talk about Trump and predict politics and tell you what's really going on underneath the surface. And I get to pretend to be, you know, Tucker Carlson for an hour a day and then a hundred thousand people tune in. And then he just forgot like that, that might not have made him as much money as a strip, but it, uh, you know, hits him in his brain like the like a the rat like a rat pellet thing and so that's what he's that's what he's doing and he's just trying to get the uh constant engagement he imploded his career over it and his marriage with his second wife that he uh was an instagram model that he uh, probably hired to sleep with him for two years before she divorced him 
Wait, is that true or is that? Uh, well, the the part about paying the Instagram is, model is certainly sec, uh, speculation. Alleged, but he, yeah, alleged. Uh, okay. Some people, some We're people are saying. But he was married to a woman, and uh, they got divorced. And then a couple years ago, he started dating this woman named Christina Basham, who is a uh, an Instagram model, just a hot young woman with like you know. Th- 300,000 Instagram followers or whatever the fuck it is. And uh, you would see pictures. He would post pictures of them, which, you know, you're like, Oh, is this, is this your like granddaughter's friend or, and then she, her Instagram is just her. (laughs) So they get married in 2019 and you know, it's like, well, not only does, does there must be a prenup in place, but I mean, I don't know. She loves his books on religion. I would say, I would say yeah she was, she read the book on religion and was a huge fan I, I mean I would suggest there was a bare minimum a sugar daddy situation and yeah this was not a uh, um, purely uh, authentic love based uh, relationship so anyway two years later last year she divorces him and he uh, and then uh, her she was pregnant within. A few months. Oh. <laughs> Oof. Uh, uh, but, but yeah, I love it. You know, he is, he is a, uh, he's a, pers- he's a persuasion expert, linguistics master, and trained hypnotist. But he, you know, can't convince his wife to stay with him. The most human story of all. Exactly. <laughs> now, uh, we are at a round time here. Does anybody else have any other topics they wanted to cover before we round it out? Kathy? Kathy. Kathy. We were going to talk about Frank Miller also. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can't I like Frank right. Miller. He's my favorite right-wing cartoonist. I was about to say, like, uh, when we were listing Copaganda earlier, I think he was kind of the master of it because he perfected the Batman as a detective uh, archetype that we know and love, mm-hmm. which is given legs to Batman. Uh, like Batman is not really interesting as a dark character. No, he uh, makes no sense, which I think the last movie really covered is that if you just let Batman be Batman, it it's a bad idea that like a millionaire has that he should quit doing afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, Miller's done great work, you know, uh, but then, he 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 did have this like kind of crazed right wing turn, not just in his work like Dark Knight Returns, but like publicly in the two thousands. He did the Holy Terror book, which is yeah. I haven't read. Two thousand eleven. So I saw clips from it, and it looked very bad, and uh, you know Islamophobic, and he said some crazy shit uh, publicly about it. But he's come full circle. I think he was he got brainwormed or something because he's kind of come full circle now, and you know he was like real anti antifa and shit like that and uh you know anti uh jihadist and he wanted to make the holy terror book but i think he's come around i read uh, there's a new dark knight book that came out like a short one with this uh great illustrator Raphael grandpa but it was like woke it was like uh it was like anti-trump like the jokers kind of in league with um uh, well, he's in league with Dark Side, but there's like a, a very clear Trumpian element to it. And then he's like on the protesters' side, and they say really like kind of cheesy things. That's just why I say it's like woke. And I, I was like, this is odd. Yeah, it's like the end of Borat too, when he is just uh, campaigning for Hillary or whatever the end of that was. 
Yeah, no, it was jarring <laughs> to look at. Yeah, I was like, wait a minute. I was like, is this this is not the Frank Miller we know and love? This is a new um this is a, a new blue-haired SJW Frank Miller. What's going on? Well, what happened is he had a surgery <laughs> for a muscle. Yeah. A beam went through his brain. Yeah. <laughs> he was tamping a railroad. I think yeah. more more artists mid to late career should just have their personality scrambled yeah. and be like, what? <laughs> Let's just see, like, what are we going to get now? What are you going to get some weird right wing work? Where are you going to go left? What are we doing? In 10 years, I'm just going to be doing some electrical work and Justice Warriors <laughs> is going to turn into a full on Nazi propaganda book. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> oh, great. <Yeah. laughs> You're coming along with me. <laughs> we'll be holding hands as I'm vaporized by the electrical panel. Yeah. We're happy I mean, to. Sorry, you go, Anders. Well, I was just gonna, like the yeah. I mean, Holy Terror, obviously, just uh, right wing agitpra, pretty disgusting. But if you look at like the Dark Knight Returns, you can look at parts of that that are like, oh, they've, these people were, you know, he's kind of castigating like the '60s and free love and uh, the hippie movement, and it, it's you can look at it in a reactionary way, but you can also look at it in like this. This is kind of tongue in cheek, or it, you know, it's not a definitive. I, I guess that kind of goes to like a lot of these, uh, a lot of comics in general. Um, how didactic do people like expect you to be uh, when it comes to like their own politics? And uh, yeah, you know, do you feel a need to like play with people's expectations a little bit more and, and challenge people, um, even who you agree with politically? Because this is not, you know, you're not doing a, a thesis here about uh, ideology and, and the world. You're you're creating art. Yeah, I, I love Dark Knight Returns. I mean, you know, f formally, artistically and all that, you know, it, and it works just even on the level of like hearing this badass guy's inner monologue. And it's kind of uh, in real life, this would be a reactionary person that I would not right. want uh, policing crime, but it works as a good, a good story. Uh, to your point, though, I think, you know, before Justice Warriors came out, me and Ben, we were kind of worried a little bit about how it would be received because you know we are in an environment where people really want good politics reflected back at them or their own politics yeah. reflected back at them and we're doing a book that's uh certainly not pro-cop but it's from the cop's perspective as protagonists and you know it was like uh, we were going to talk about the house of decline thing. It's like, you know, someone can post a panel of something now and be like, what the fuck is up with this shit? And then the house of decline thing was nuts because that, that one panel that said, you are not special and had the little drawing of a guy. I mean, who, who cares who could get worked up about it? It wasn't just that people were mad or offended or there were 20,000 quote tweets on it. We should explain <laughs> what, what happened. Uh, My God. Just and then, and then we should wrap up after this. Uh. But the webcomic House of Decline, which is very funny, it does these very simple comics, usually where guys are getting fucked in the ass. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> did a commission for another you used to have author. To draw that you couldn't do an AI with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now AI is replacing this job. Um, <laughs> He did a commission for another author who had a uh, joke children's book called You Are Not Special, where it's, and it, what's weird to me is I feel like this has been done before, like uh, the dinosaur book, All My Friends Are Dead. You know, yeah. it's like something you wouldn't actually give to a child, but looks cute. Uh, How about the book Go the Fuck to Sleep? Yeah. <laughs> that one? Yep. I mean, there's, there's a million these, of these. these types of books exist constantly as like, 
little uh, kind of novelty books that parents buy other parents as a joke, basically. And anyway, so it's called You Are Not Special, and every panel is like, there are a million other people like you. Uh, don't follow your dreams, everything like that. You know, it's kind of cute. Uh, and it is, you know, depressing. But the backlash on this was like he defaced Muhammad or something. <laughs> it was unreal. He, uh, the, no, it was so unreal. And he put out an apology that was like refused. <laughs> well, I thought it was, you know, I, uh, I don't know him, know him well, but I did, I did just run a comic on the nib, uh, nib by him. So I, I like him. Uh, and I reached out to him partially because that, uh, this whole incident brought him to my attention again. I, I, I knew about his comics before, but, uh, yeah, it was like, all you know, 20,000 quote tweets. Like I said, people just saying this is offensive. You need to apologize, whatever. So he did in the way that I get the sense, you know, when 20,000 people are yelling at you and you just want it to stop, you're like, <laughs> okay, I did harm. I'm so sorry to the people who were harmed and I will improve and do better. But then the apology, there was like 500 replies under, under it from his actual readers who were like, you don't have anything to apologize for. This was stupid. And by then all the people who are mad, you know, had moved on to be mad at, you know, something else. Cause really all this is, is just people are staring at their phones and, you know, hitting retweet and, and getting yeah. mad at the they things get... they see. And then a thing they've never even heard of before or a comic they've never read and a guy they don't follow. Someone else puts it in their timeline and they're just like, I can't fucking believe it either. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then five minutes later, they're tweeting about saltines. Yeah. So, this is why I genuinely think the number one lesson from the Trump era is to never publicly apologize. <laughs> there is no yeah, reward no, for never. you. You can only be punished. Yeah. Okay. In fact, underneath your uh, hit, your your super offensive tweet, plug your book. Absolutely. Speaking of plugging your book, we are at around the end of the yes. episode here. So, uh, Ben and Matt, where can our listeners find Justice Warriors and plug into the Justice Zone? Yeah, uh, uh, I assume that in the in the description of this episode on whatever podcast platform you're listening to will be a nice Simon and Schuster link, which ooh. will bring you to a uh, place where you can link to jump to Indigo, uh, Indigo Amazon, one of these other uh, mega corporations that will take your money in exchange for a book. Uh, you can go to that. You can just Google it. You could pirate it. Please don't pirate it. I need money to feed my children. Uh, yeah, Matt, do you have places other people can go? You can go to Matt's website, actually. You can buy it directly from Matt. Oh, yeah, I'm still selling some copies on my website. But um, yeah, you know, wherever books are sold, as they say, I mean. Oh, I uh, can say that, eh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Matt will meet you on the street and supply it under a, a tarp yeah. of some kind. Okay. Yeah. Uh, any, any, anywhere else, where can people follow you? You know, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook as, uh, Matt Boers, pretty easy to find on all platforms. I'm on Twitter at Ben Clarkson. All right. Follow these wonderful gals. Uh, Andrews and I have a plug this week. Surprisingly, <laughs> Andrews, do you want to do the honors? Uh, sure. That's right. Um, we are doing another paid protest, a live comedy show, uh, for NYCDSA, raising money for East Palestine through the uh, Comedy Resistance, which is a great organization getting water to people in East Palestine. We're still uh, suffering very much, but it's going to be a very fun show. We're doing it in North Brooklyn at uh, Silo. Silo in Bushwick off the Jefferson L. It's going to be 
April 6th. It's a Thursday. Uh, doors at 7, show at 7.30. We'll put a ticket link in the show notes. You simply must be there at Silo, April 6th. It's a former airplane hangar, and it rocks. I love being there. It's a it's really a cool building. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to be it for us this week. Uh, we hope you love Dilbert the way we do here on the program. <laughs> <laughs> and with no further ado, it is finished. It's finished. All right.